Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your hosts, Mike Fagan and Tim Ben. We're opinion, fact, informative, and your alert system. Now let's get ready to rumble. Good day once again, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for rejoining Mike and Tim on Local Update, Local Coverage, this Tuesday episode here on Right Spokane Perspective. Hope everybody out there is safe and sane. Now, when the World Trade Center towers fell on September 11, 2001, Greg Rodriguez was one of the victims who died in the wreckage. As his mother Phyllis and his father grieved, they also carefully considered their response to such a horrific attack. In 2002, Phyllis met Aicha El Wafe, the mother of one of the men accused of helping the terrorists. Phyllis said that she approached her and opened her arms. We embraced and cried. For Aicha and me, there was an immediate bonding. We both suffered on account of our sons. Phyllis met Aicha amid shared pain and sorrow. Phyllis believed that fury over her son's death, appropriate as it was, could not heal her anguish. Listening to Aicha's family story, Phyllis felt compassion, resisting the temptation to view them merely as enemies. She desired justice, but believed that we must release the temptation to seek revenge that often grips us when we've been wronged. The Apostle Paul shared his conviction, admonishing us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, along with every form of malice. As we relinquish these destructive powers, God's Spirit fills us with new perspective. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Paul says. It's possible to work for wrongs, to be made right, while also refusing rageful vengeance. May the Spirit help us show compassion that overcomes that bitterness. You know the drill, folks. Father God, you are a loving and compassionate God. There's so much wrong in the world. Please give us the compassion instead of bitterness. In your son's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday. Hoping that everybody out there is doing wonderfully. Boy, that weather is just kind of freaky, isn't it, man? A little bit wet, a little bit cold. I'm afraid that when that stuff freezes, man, we're going to be looking at the wagon wheel (laughs) train tracks in the roads. And all I got to say is, uh, hey, Mayor, when are you going to be hitting them residential streets with the snow plows well and i think you know so much of it gets frozen that by the time the plows get there they're just scraping the surface because if they started scraping all that compact ice that's on those residential streets i think they'd be taking asphalt <laughs> very possibly man so, very possibly know, they got to be careful about that but you know it's it's climate change yep you know jay inslee said that we were in a drought so uh this is what happens every time he you know keeps on oh we're in a drought we're in a drought we're in a drought well Compared to what? <laughs> no doubt about um, it. So, yeah, lots of precipitation early on in the year. This is kind of an early winter. You know, we've talked about the the uh, don't have to sing the white Christmas and demand snow for Christmas because it's here. It's here big and, time. Uh, you know, maybe it won't stay here. I mean, we did have those warm temperatures and we could have another warm spell. It's, it's Christmas in Spokane. You just never know what you're going to get. Yep, you It's bet. like that box of chocolates. <laughs> but, and uh, hey, folks, here's a little public service announcement. Be careful if you got somebody knocking on that front door that's got a snow shovel in hand and a ladder that says that they'll remove the snow off of your roof. <laughs> just be very careful, ladies and gentlemen. Well, just hold on tightly to your home insurance claim uh, paperwork, <laughs> right? time, man. So, uh, yeah, definitely got to be careful about, you know, whether there's licensed contractors that are going to be working up there or if they're tied off appropriately and you know, all that kind of stuff. But 
You know, and other things to do in the winter. I don't know if I ever told anyone on the radio this, but carry a towel with you if you get stuck. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did I, did I talk I, about that on the yeah, radio before? Yes, you did, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's been about three or four years, but please, you know, remind the listeners. Well, yeah, you, you carry a, a towel with you, a nice big beach towel, or maybe a blanket, because it's good to have a blanket if you break down, it's cold. You know, if there's a crash on the freeway and you're getting low on gas, you can't stay warm. You know, we saw these huge pileups on I-90. There's been some other highways. You know, you get on a two-lane highway out in the middle of nowhere, maybe no cell phone service even, and you just have a small car accident can be blocking the road for hours and you don't want to run yourself out of gas so you want to have that blanket there but the other thing is if you get stuck and it's freezing cold outside you can actually dry your tire with that towel or that blanket and then put it on the snow or ice in front of where your your car is stuck with your traction tire the one that's spinning and you can gain traction with a, a towel or a blanket. You just got to wait a little while for that to freeze to the ground and you've got perfect traction. So just a, a little tip. Another little tip is make sure your kids close the windows at night. It, it keeps the Avista <laughs> bill down. Big time, you man. Know, if they wait. I know I'm having a problem with my grands uh, right now, too. Just closing the door when they come in from, you know, building a snowman or whatever. Right, right. Close the door. Kind of like, what are you, burning a barn? <laughs> right. Well, sometimes it's closing the door all the way. You know, you got that second click to oh, really get yeah. that seal, you know, close that door. Because, I mean, you know, we're glad Avista's here. We're glad we have power. You know, a lot of people might be angry about their utilities companies because they got to pay the bills but i like the lights to work when i go to hit the switch right i yeah. like the heat to be able to operate pumping the air around you know so we've got to conserve that where we can so that uh, we can use our money in uh, more wise ways right right so uh, we, we, want, we want to use them in more wise ways than maybe our local government might use them and so today we've got some coverage from your local city council there was also a uh, organizational meeting with the gop and and, and lots of other coverage so what do you got over there, Mike, for City Council? Well, I'll tell you, you know, on Monday's show, we went ahead and briefed folks a little bit on what some of the highlights were for the City Council agenda. And just know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the budget, it was a little over a billion dollars. It did end up getting passed. I do believe there is one more meeting left this year, and then they're going to be gone for at least two weeks, if not three weeks, coming back together to have the first meeting of 2023 about the middle of January. But there were a couple of items that that we briefed you on, one of which was the landlord-tenant ordinance that the city council was deliberating and was supposed to be voting on, but it appears at this particular point that they have punted that football well into the middle of January of next year when they're going to actually sit down, deliberate, and vote. Now, real interesting thing about this landlord-tenant ordinance, and here it is. There was definitely a computer-generated notice that was placed in the city hall chambers that basically discouraged folks from signing up to testify on this one specific ordinance, period. They could testify on wow. everything else, but they weren't, they, they, the city council was not going to hear any public testimony on that particular ordinance last night. So what ended up happening here is a news article has now been generated entitled Spokane Landlords said that they were shut out from city council's tenant rights proposal. This article comes from the center square. 
Now, a Spokane landlord is accusing the city of not including housing owners in making new rules expanding tenant rights, according to documents obtained by a local columnist. Accurate information is very important to me, and there is so much distrust at every level right now in journalism and society that I felt the source documents were important to post, Sulani Madsen told the Center Square. She is the news director of Spokane Talks Media and has published correspondence for multiple parties about the proposed landlord-tenant rules on her Substack page called Fourth Right. The city council is poised to consider the adoption of the new rules at 6 p.m. on Monday, December 5th, in the lower level of city halls. Now, obviously, that was deferred until the middle of January. The draft ordinance governs background checks, inspections of property, creation of legal fund, and expansion of the city's code enforcement department, and more. The measure is sponsored by Council President Brian Beggs and Councilor Karen Stratton. Voicing his concerns on Madsen's site is Ron Davenport, who bought and renovated an 11-unit apartment building in Spokane in 2013 and currently lives there. Davenport's emails were sent to the city council and Mayor Nadine Woodward's administration. He takes issue with a November 29th email he received from Councilor Lori Kinnear. Her message stated that development of the new proposal code took place in a rigorous public process over the last four-plus years. Okay. Both landlords and tenants have had ample opportunity to provide feedback during this time. The inability to find common ground on issues ultimately won't help either tenants or landlords, Kinnear said. Devonport issued the following reply to her message on December 2nd. I honestly regret the blunt tone of this email, but I deplore all of this conclusion and pretense under the guise of seeking genuine benefit for Spokane's tenant population. He explained, you seem to have forgotten that I had wrote Brian Beggs and all council members on 2-10-2020, yourself included, Lori Kinnear, to specifically request public access to the landlord-tenant collaboration workgroup meetings. Brian didn't even reply to my email, and I still maintain the closed meetings were a blatant violation of the Open Public Meetings Act. Now, Beggs was unable to be immediately reached for comment about Davenport's allegation, The email thread featured by Madsen also included a December 2nd statement by Keith Kelly, a landlord who served on the group. He states that his resignation was tendered as a result of an overt lack of inclusivity. Gordon Hester, chief executive officer of a real estate development company, states agreement in a December 2nd email with Devonport's concerns. I would agree with Ron that to characterize this as an open process is inaccurate at best as far as landlord knowledge of what ideas are being proposed. Completely caught everyone that I have talked to by surprise. Daniel Clemmy, president of the Landlord Association of the Inland Northwest, requested in a December 2nd email that the ordinance be tabled for further discussion. He said, as written, the new code will make housing less affordable and reduce the available inventory. He also argues that requiring landlords to help tenants register to vote, one of the provisions in the ordinance is bizarre and inappropriate. Well, for for landlord, so a landlord's job is to have sound structure, operating <laughs> utilities, yes. and, uh, you know, maybe a parking spot. You know, there's different kinds of uh, agreements for landlords. Now, but- look, Tim, there is something real freaky going on between the Democrats and their their 
their want and need and desire for voting, man. <laughs> well, it's the vote harvest machine. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about it next week. I know we've got some stuff to cover on that next week, but to have it, so it's the landlord's job now to make sure their tenants are registered to vote. Does, does the landlord have to tell them how to vote? <laughs> does, does the landlord? That's coming next, man. Does the landlord have to notify the Democrat party when the ballots have come in the mail for their tenants? <laughs> I mean, how far is this going to go? It's amazing that it even got that far, man. I'm telling you. Now, his comments echoed concerns expressed last week by the Washington Multifamily Housing Association that putting heavy regulatory burdens on landlords may cause them to sell off their rentals. Additionally, he said investors could be scared off by ambiguity in the language of the ordinance that could, when fleshed out, create even more regulations. (laughs) Well, but guess what? You know, there's certain parties that like regulations. You know, the big giant corporations that have, you know, lobbying groups and big, you know, administrative offices that can do the, the, you know, the administration and compliance side of regulation. They love regulations. In fact, they encourage a lot of the stupid regulations that we have out there that seem, you know, repetitive and, and just laborious that don't seem to increase quality or cost for anyone comes from big corporations or they come from people that have a specific need and desire. Yep. Now, I would say that, you know, there is nonprofits out there getting into real estate. And the Democrats know that when they can co-opt more and more communities to have voters from, uh, you know, yeah, conservatives and and uh, small businesses, you know, those landlords that just have the onesies or twosies, right? They just right, got right, yeah. uh, a duplex or they've got a small apartment building or a couple houses. They're not going to want to go through the compliance stuff and check the box that they made sure the person registered to vote because a lot of people's it's none of my business whether it's their business that's That's right whether they vote there or not so and not only that maybe they don't want to vote there i mean when you're talking about apartments and some of these rentals there's people that know that oh i'm just going to be renting here for six months and saving up to buy a house or i'm going to live here for six months and i'm going to be moving over to another place where my job is taking me so why would you register that person to vote when they might not even be there right and so There's a lot to be questioned about this, and it obviously has political motives. There should not be a mandatory anything on anyone to register to vote. That's right. Especially in the private sector. You're telling a a private entity that they're supposed to make sure their resident is registered to vote. Totalitarian what? (laughs) Big time. That being said, we'll be back in a minute or so. To our Spokane area veterans and their families, if you haven't checked out the Hilliard Veterans of Foreign Wars Post 1474, located at Diamond and Regal Street in Spokane, you gotta be there or be square. The Hilliard VFW is there to assist you and yours with all your VA questions. Give them a call at 487-3784. Weekly bingo, cards, bowling, dart tournaments, and meal specials are just a few more things that the Hilliard VFW offers. Stop on by, give them a call, 487-3784. And welcome back from the break, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for rejoining Mike and Tim on Local Updates, Local Coverage, this Tuesday episode here on Right Spokane Perspective. Well, Mike, and, you, you know, know, hold on. Yeah, go ahead. Every li- if you're listening to this program right now, you might already be in violation of your First Amendment right to vote. 
That's not a First Amendment right necessarily, but but, we're, but the city council is going to make it one. That's right. So if, if you're listening to a... Uh, you happen to be uh, a renter, you bet, man. The city council is going to be taking care of all of your voting concerns. Well, well yeah, but I mean, that, they're listening to a political show here, Mike. We do a lot of political stuff. They can't listen to our show if they're not registered to vote. So now everyone that's listening right now has to comply and they have to, you know, send us something telling us that they're registered to vote so that we can comply with, uh, I don't know, who's the totalitarian that would be in control of us? <laughs> the FCC or the, uh, you know, who yeah, would it FCC. be? FCC. Yeah, so, yeah, it's just going to be everybody's, you know, obligation to make sure everyone's registered. What's crazy about that portion of that ordinance, Mike, is that if you're on welfare and you go to the welfare office, they register you to vote. Yep. If you have a driver's license or ID, they register you to vote. Speaking of if, which, if, Tim, you know, the real ID thing just got pushed back another couple of years. Instead of being required here in Washington State for real ID cards on January of 2023, we're now talking January of 2025. Okay, this thing started in like 2015 or something. I know it did. I know it so did. So Washington State can't comply. Now, this is what these politicians, this is what the city council needs to hear. This is what the city council needs to hear from our listeners. Government can't comply with its own oh, mandate. That's right. So they're talking about we have unsecure ID processes. And so obviously we were giving people IDs that were basically fake IDs because they weren't thoroughly checking these people out. So you had people with IDs saying that they were a Washington resident and their name was John Smith when their name was actually Billy. I'm not going to say idol because <laughs> we're, we're going we're gonna to say... What was what was Joe Biden's guy that he used? Oh, is it Billy Eagle? Billy Bob? Billy Bob? <laughs> Jim Eagle, that's what it was. Anyways, and so they're using Washington's ID laws that were bad to get IDs in Washington, and then they can travel the country and other places to, to commit crimes, which was the, the deal. I mean, whether it's an illegal alien or someone that is the law enforcement in another state has warrants out for their arrest, they come to Washington State, they get a different ID to use. You know, it, it was easier in Washington State. That's just what they did. Yeah. And so this 15... 2015, I think, is when this started. Yeah. I might be wrong. Maybe it was 2016. But the reality is, how many years have to go by? We have to go more than a decade. And because this now is getting pushed out to next year, right? Yeah. So the government can't even issue IDs properly. And now, of course, a lot of us want proof of ID to vote, but I'm not sure that's going to work in Washington. Right. We can't even get the ID thing right. But, but. Let's not forget the original intent as to why they wanted the real IG, the biometric identification card. It's because now they can separate the legal individuals staying in the United States versus the illegal individuals staying in the United States. Right. Now, granted, they're still going to ask you after you get your biometric ID card, if you want to register to vote, just like they do currently. But what's not to say that they didn't push this out beyond the 2024 presidential election in order to make sure that they got as many registered voters through the system and set up for the presidential election. Absolutely. What do you think? A absolutely. And so, <laughs> and so they're going to integrate this. And, and I know that, you know, most people just go to work every day, go home, you try to pay your bills, try to pay your taxes, try That's to, right. you know, survive. And these people sit in, in rooms, in groups, in task forces and committees, and 
they come up with these policies that are integrated, right? You don't realize it until you've already been had. And we've are I mean, we're already, we've, we've had a lot of hads. <laughs> so, but now they want landlords to make sure their tenants are registered to vote. Right. So now landlords are supposed to do the duties of the auditor to make sure that people are getting taken off the voter rolls. <laughs> right? Or, or removed. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts, man. It really is. And there, there's no reason why that should be as it is stated in that particular ordinance. But the thing that gets me is the fact that the council would issue an edict that you can testify on anything else on this particular agenda except for that item. And that was it. You well, know. they didn't want testimony because they probably knew they were going to push it off because... There was too many people that were questioning it. Yeah, you betcha. All right. The other thing that we ended up briefing you on yesterday's show was a conservative-leaning council members, plural, in Jonathan Bingle and Michael Cathcart went ahead and put together a resolution to protect and preserve the Snake River Dam system. And that particular situation ended up getting deferred too. Now, when I originally saw the headline here, I was thinking that maybe it was the left-leaning council members that ended up pushing this thing out. But to my surprise, here is the story. Spokane City Councilors Jonathan Bingle and Michael Cathcart have postponed the vote on a resolution voicing opposition to the removal of four lower Snake River dams to further explore issues raised by tribal leaders. I met recently with the Spokane Tribe to hear their concern and discuss areas of common ground, Bingle told the Center Square this week. I wanted to defer consideration of the resolution so that we can continue that conversation. Now, that is a statesman's position and a statement talking. He wasn't just going to ram this thing down the council's throat, down the citizen's throat, without first, you know, checking with other entities uh, that were significant in the decision was significant in the conversation of the Snake River Dam system for sure. So good on Councilmember Bingle, good on Councilmember Cathcart for foisting up that resolution and then having the wherewithal to reach out to the Spokane tribe and I'm sure other tribes here in the local area to well, have that discussion. Well, and that's great to have that discussion, but the reason why they're having that discussion is because there's a group of morons that want us to go all electric but they want to get rid of a bunch of our electricity. Exactly. All right, your next item here, ladies and gentlemen. Here's your headline. This comes from MyNorthwest.com. Idaho has the lowest electricity rates in the country. Washington State is the seventh lowest. And do you know now, why that is? Do you know why that is, Mike? Why? Because we don't have people, the, the, the people in Idaho don't have people putting together subcommittees spending, I don't know, what was it, $100 million to research how easily it would be to tear out the dams and what the consequences of it would be? Oh, yeah. Remember, yeah, there are tons you of what, studies. Man. How mean, many times have we argued? How much government money in Washington State that I believe is tied to utility taxes mm -hmm. uh, is spent to see if they can tear down our utility system? Yeah. And you know what? It would be absolutely amazing to see what the deliverables were for a $100 million contract. What was I supposed to deliver? <laughs> right. I mean, you could get a lot of stuff for a hundred million dollars, man. Oh, well, I mean, so I'm kind of wondering so if things. it was a whole lot of stuff or it was just a little blue and color binder with a study in it. <laughs> well, and, and 
you wouldn't have to install, you know, as many other kinds of infrastructure. I mean, there's not going to be enough solar power here to deal with the power needs that we have. They can't go all electric by 2035 or whatever they're trying to do. All their mandates, the electric buses they're putting in, you know, they want electric cars. They want electric fleets for semi trucks uh, for for cities. And yeah, that's definitely not happening. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, Oh cool. They got electric semi trucks. No, they have electric vans that are tiny little versions of a semi truck that can haul a tiny fraction of what I haul every time I get in a truck. <laughs> so, you know, there, it's just not reality. And, and so we spend all this time and, and money arguing these things. And, and here's something else that doesn't ever get brought up. And I hope that Bingle's listening to the show today. So every politician, every government entity that takes a side on this has to think about something. And it's called property rights. So if you had riverfront property, Mike, and all of a sudden the government freed up all this land that used to be considered federal waterway, you get rid of the dams, that river that's a half a mile wide is now going to be 200 yards wide. <laughs> so guess what? You thought you owned riverfront property. You've been paying all of these taxes. One day you were going to develop it and retire there, or one day you were going to develop it and leave it to your kids so that they could sell it and maybe survive in a high inflation, high tax country. Yeah. And now you've got property that's up the road mm-hmm. from the actual water. Yeah. I guess all those docks that everyone installed on pylons and all of the infrastructure that was installed all along those rivers, hundreds of miles, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some litigation, Mike. Yeah. I there think, could, yeah, I, I think very this, well be, man. I think this debate doesn't even bring that into discussion. We're just going to eminent domain everybody's land along the river. So they won't complain when we diminish the value of their land. Oh, and new developers come in and buy land from the government. That's actually near the trickle of water. That's now left over. You bet. You, you th- think about the, the, massive amount of land and dollars that are going to be lost yeah no kidding right but there'll be a whole lot of new riverfront property to sell (laughs) yes (laughs) so i guess maybe maybe they'll cover it that way they'll just be a whole bunch of what you would call major secondary lots that are unhappy Oh, big time, man. Anyway, here's a little taste of that story just to give you some figures. Now, according to a recent 2021 state electricity profiles report from the U.S. Energy Information Administration, Idaho has the lowest average electricity cost in the nation at $8.17 per kilowatt hour. The national average is $11.10 per kilowatt hour. Washington State had the seventh lowest electricity rate in the nation at $8.75 per kilowatt hour. And I'm telling you, folks, that is the primary reason why we don't want to get rid of the dams at this point, man. I mean, the minute that we get rid of those dams, boy, your electricity costs, the cost to heat your home, is just going to go up through the roof, boy. I'm telling you what, yep, if you think that Europe is having glorious day going through rolling brownouts and blackouts and they're freezing to death and things, just get ready, man, because it's already hit the East Coast and the Northeast states. They've run out of fuel, you know, for furnace fuel and uh, kerosene and heating oil. Uh, yes, heating oil and that kind of thing. And granted, I mean, it was just a couple of days that they were, you know, not able to access it. But still, just a simple fact and the simple thought that 
that something like that could happen in the United States of America, the greatest nation on earth, and it's happening right in front well, of our well, it's, eyes, it's, man. It's, it's definitely, a sad testament. It's definitely on its way. So, I mean, aside from all the new riverfront property that the government's going to be able to sell, there won't be enough electricity for those new properties to plug anything in. Yep. And they won't be able to have natural gas either because I think they're doing away with that too, right? Yep. They sure are. It's really unfortunate. It's insane. All right, I'm going to squeeze this last little tidbit in before we close up for the day. Addressing misconceptions about Washington's new vehicle registration law. I had no idea, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure that Tim did not either, but apparently there was a change. We have to register our vehicles? (laughs) There was a change. I thought it was just the guns. In vehicle registration laws here, which now allow you to take a photo of your registration and proof of insurance liability and store it on your phone your tablet or other electronic device and you won't have to get a 750 dollars ticket for not being able to prove that you don't have insurance so a new change in the state law again will allow you to take a photo of your vehicle registration your proof of insurance and store it on your cell phone tablet or electronic device well, and, and there could be some problems with this but i think that there this is a stopgap method for government not to waste its time because they're processing all these people that get tickets right yep but if you get a ticket for not having proof of insurance and the stuff in your jockey box that, that you're supposed to have in there. And you go to court and you say, look, I didn't have it in my jockey box because my car got broken into and stolen and I just got it back because you guys aren't enforcing the laws and putting criminals in jail. So everybody's cars getting broken into and their stuff rifled through. That's why they didn't have the proof of registration. Yep. You Their betcha. license plates just got stolen and used in a robbery downtown. Yep, there you that's, go. That's why they don't have the license plate now. So I, it makes sense to be able to store those things because, the you know, they're letting the crooks run the streets. So, you know. Why not? Yeah. All of that being said, Mike and Tim are out of here today. We'll be back at you and in your face again tomorrow. Bye-bye.